Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 119 of Just the Zoo of Us. You know, I frequently use this podcast as an excuse to just geek out with some of my favorite people and creators that I really look up to, and this is such an episode. I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with science writer and naturalist Rosemary Mosco, who you may know, as I did, from her webcomic Bird and Moon. Rosemary joined us to talk pigeons, the little gray birds strutting down a street near you. You will laugh, you may possibly cry as you learn the history of why pigeons live alongside us, how they evade the clutches of even the world's fastest predator, ways that pigeon couples keep the romance alive, and just the general joy of appreciating these metropolitan doves. Just the Zoo of Us proudly presents Pigeons with Rosemary Moscow. This is Ellen Weatherford. I am here with Just the Zoo of Us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. And I'm so overjoyed to be bringing y'all my friend for today. This is Rosemary Moscow. Say hi, Rosemary. Hi, I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to talk to you because right before we get into our feathered friend for today, I will show my hand. I'm a big fan. <laughs> a big fan. We've been following along with your art and your comics and your work for years. So very excited. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit for friends who are listening who might not be familiar with your work just quite yet? Sure. So hi, I'm Rosemary Mosco. I am a cartoonist and a science writer. I make a cartoon called Bird and Moon. And you can find that at birdandmoon.com. And then I write a whole bunch of books on various animal-related topics. So I have a new book that is coming out October 26th. And it is a pocket guide to pigeon watching, getting to know the world's most misunderstood bird. And I am a huge pigeon fanatic. Rightfully so. Because I, I will say, we a while back, we did an episode where I tackled reviewing the pigeon. Of course, I am not an expert. I have not written any books about pigeons. So um, we have brought on a guest uh, expert to provide some deeper insight into the pigeon, maybe contribute to their scorecard a little bit. So you also have some other books out. We have one in our home. We have your book, Butterflies Are Pretty Gross. Yeah, that was my first picture book. And um, it was inspired by hearing someone say, you know, I love insects, uh, except for butterflies, because they're just so, you know, boring and girly and pretty. And I love butterflies. And also they are, you know, pretty. And also they are really weird and intense. And they like, you know, drink tears and eat poop. And they're just so complicated and gross and amazing. And as a woman, I think, you know, that falls under the definition of girly too. You know, we're all complex people. So it's sort of an attempt to share those weird, gross facts and then talk about how we're all, you know, a little more complicated than than you think. So it was a total joy. And the art was by Jacob Suva, who is just an absolute genius. It's like just the cutest, prettiest stuff. So I was really excited to share the the grossness and beauty of butterflies. For sure. Yeah. So anyone who's listening, if you got kiddos who might be interested in some of the I think less focused on aspects of butterflies. It's a great, great pickup. Both of my kiddos really enjoy it. Oh, that makes me really happy. <laughs> I'm glad. And and for anybody who maybe doesn't immediately recognize the Bird and Moon name, you probably have seen some of the comics. They've been floating around social media all over the place for many years. Just look up the the Bird and Moon comics, and I'm sure you'll see it and immediately be like, oh, yes, I have actually seen that. <laughs> That's that really funny legacy where, like, you know, I'll explain to someone what I do, and then they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, they'll sort of look vague. And then I'll say, there's a comic about a pooping vulture that I drew, and they'll go, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's you. <laughs> The vulture poop lady. I'm like, huh, yeah. true. 
but they're delightful. So I think that anybody who probably has spent a lot of time like looking at animal content, especially on like social media, would probably recognize it once they saw it. So um, how did you get into like the style of illustration? Like what got you into illustrating like animal science? I have always been really interested in both art and science. And so I grew up drawing lots of cartoons and reading tons and tons of, you know, newspaper comics, like Calvin Hobbes or The Far Side (laughs) or so on. And then also being really interested in going outside and going birding. So it was sort of a natural combo. But as with a lot of these art science combos, it took me a long time to figure out what, you know, I wanted to do with that and what I could do in terms of a career. So I just I feel like it's a really good way to spread facts around. I mean, humor really sort of adds this, you know, remarkable ability to spread facts to even maybe the driest facts. So yeah, so it's it's been a really funny and weird journey. What was it about birds in particular that kind of captivated your artistic energy? You know, I I get that question a lot. And I like really, that's a difficult one to answer because I think it's honestly just that I identify with birds a little bit. They're really earnest. Birds are just trying so hard all the time and they're a little (laughs) bit anxious and they're a little awkward. And I really, really identify, I think, with that like awkward earnestness of birds. (laughs) What you see is what you get with a bird. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. I definitely see that. And they have such a like, I guess they're usually associated with like a free spirit, right? Because if you're a bird, you can kind of go anywhere you want. So I don't know. I feel like they are common muses, Yeah, although I feel like, you know, the more you look at them, the more kind of the grossness and weirdness pops out and you start Mm. to think of them like less romantically and more just kind of like they're, they're really funny and and hilarious. (laughs) And they're just trying so hard all the time. It's a humanizing element. You can relate to them a little better when you see all the little, "Mm, they don't talk about that on the, uh, they don't put that in the BBC documentaries, do they? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So today we're talking about pigeons. What is the perception of pigeons among like birders? Are they just frustrated? Like, oh, well, all I ever see are pigeons. Or is it more like, is there an appreciation for them? It's complicated. There are a lot of people who hate pigeons, obviously, which is why people try to get them out of their cities using poison or trapping or all that stuff. And then there are the aficionados. And then I think there are just a ton of people who are sort of in between. So a lot of the birders I meet are sort of annoyed by pigeons because they clutter up their eBird list. (laughs) Um, You know, you've seen your 20 rock doves for the day or whatever. So they either they're either sort of annoyed or they don't really think about them. That's sort of generally where we're at. Sure. Like maybe an ambivalence. You don't see a lot of like passionately pro pigeon content. (laughs) No one comes in and says, you will not believe the red pigeon morph that I saw this morning. (laughs) I also saw, you know, 20 roseate spoonbills and a wimbrel, but then I saw this pigeon. But the pigeon really stole the show. So, you know, for for listeners who might be new to pigeons, I'm I'm sure most people are at least a little bit familiar with pigeons. What is a pigeon for people that maybe aren't super familiar with them or have maybe only seen them in passing? Pigeons are members of a family called Columbidae, um, which comes from the Latin word for pigeon or dove. And so the pigeon that I'm talking about specifically is one particular species, which is that city bird that you'll see all around the kind of grayish or brownish bird. And that is a bird that's known as uh, the rock dove or the rock pigeon or the common pigeon or the feral pigeon. It's got so many names, like any animal that we are really, really familiar with. The scientific name is Columba livia. The word Columba coming from a Latin word for dove or pigeon and Livia from a word for sort of a bluish gray. That's the bird that we typically see on our streets, but they're really part of this gigantic pigeon family, Columbidae, that's just full of some of the most amazing and beautiful members that you will see. So so in my book, I use the word pigeon as sort of a shorthand, but I don't want people to think that there are not other really cool pigeons in the world. Oh, yeah. I've seen some showstoppers. What's the one? The Nicobar pigeon. That's probably my favorite one, I think. <laughs> I totally agree. The Nicobar pigeon is the pigeon you show people a picture of and they think, okay, now I love pigeons. 
Like yeah. they are, they're so they're these rainbow colored pigeons, the spectacular shiny rainbow body, and then their head has what looks like hair coming off of it. It's feathers, of course, but it's this stormy blue gray kind of long quaff, and they're just beautiful. And I've recently learned that not only are they beautiful, but they also their role in the ecosystem is that they eat poop. So they walk around what? eating the poop of other pigeons and doves because they can digest seeds that other birds can't. Oh my so gosh. They're the complete package, these Nicobar pigeons. They're they're beautiful. So definitely look up pictures of those guys because they're amazing. I think pigeons are usually associated with the output of poop rather than the intake of poop. So that is a very interesting little dynamic of the Nicobar pigeon. Do other pigeons do this? You know, I'm not really sure. I don't think city pigeons eat a lot of poop, but I don't really know. I mean, I've never witnessed it myself. I should say that I don't live in an area that has a ton of pigeons. Um, I, I live in a little bit more of a suburban-y sort of area, but there are a lot of pigeons in our more like urban parts of town. Do you have a lot of pigeons where you live? Yeah. I mean, I've pretty much lived in cities my whole life or city adjacent. And so there have always been a lot of pigeons around, which gets to the, the really amazing thing about all of the pigeons we see in North America is that they are domesticated animals that want to be near people. So if you go into the woods, you won't really see any pigeons. You'll see them sometimes around agricultural fields because they like to eat spilled grain and such. But uh, they really just want to be near us wherever we are concentrated. So they're typically more in cities. That almost feels like a sad, unrequited love. Like they just want to come back home, <laughs> be back with their human friends. And the humans now have turned up their noses and are like, mm, no, we're too good for you now. Yeah, it's it's the real tragedy of pigeons is that, you know, they were domesticated thousands and thousands of years ago. You know, we don't know exactly when because we're getting back to the dawn of recorded history. So somewhere between maybe 10,000 years and maybe 5,000 years. And they were considered so important that they were transported all over the world um, and spread to all sorts of places where they weren't previously native. And then people completely forgot why they were transported. So, you know, they're basically like a, like a puppy or, or a kitten and that they are these domesticated beloved animals that then went feral, but then we forgot why. And now we keep asking ourselves, why are there these pigeons around us? Why are they bothering us? Yeah. Something that I remember about like the import of pigeons was that they were used for transmitting messages, right? Like you'd put a note on a pigeon and send it off and it would go carry the message somewhere. Which then, of course, when you have much more efficient and quick ways of transmitting messages, you no longer need the pigeon as much. And so then eventually over time, you're like, well, now why did we have that old pigeon sitting around? Like, we now we can just text each other. We don't need the pigeon anymore. But the pigeon's still sitting there like, don't you need me? Yeah, pigeons are kind of the fax machine of birds when you think about it, because <laughs> they they went obsolete. It's really tragic. So we domesticated them. So you might ask, why would we domesticate pigeons? You know, you look at a dog and you think, oh, that's going to be a great companion. Or you look at a horse and you think, oh, I could ride that around town and get around faster. And then you look at a pigeon and you think, huh. Yeah, what is the, what's the correlation I'm not going to ride that around. <laughs> but so they were considered so, so, so incredibly useful. So really early on, pigeons started to hang around some of the earliest settlements where people started to settle and they started to farm grain and the pigeons were like, ooh, these are some sweet, nice warm homes to nest on. And oh, look at that spilled grain. That sounds great. And so they sort of got closer to us and we got closer to them and we slowly realized they were really useful and we started selectively breeding them. And we did it for a few different reasons. So messages are definitely one of them. Pigeons have this incredible ability to find their way home that we don't totally understand. You covered that in your excellent pigeon podcast, and you were totally right. It is a, still a mystery. We've got little, little glimpses of it, but there's still a lot. The bigger picture eludes us. So if you tie a message to a pigeon's leg and you carry it far from its home, you release it, it flies back home and it flies back pretty efficiently. And so you can send kind of a one-way message. But the other uses are many. So I'll cover, you know, a couple, but one is that you can eat them. 
Oh. Yeah. And up until pretty recently, people in North America and Europe ate a ton of pigeon. And in other parts of the world, they still eat a lot of pigeon. So what you eat is generally squab, which is a young pigeon that is about to fly. And that is the tastiest of the pigeon meat. Huh. A little pigeon nugget. <laughs> yeah. And they have two. So you got two two nuggets. Uh, yeah. And we ate them you know, in, in huge amounts up until recently, but then it became more efficient to raise factory farm chickens um, because little pigeons require parental care and, and little, little chicks, you can just sort of feed a bunch of grain. And we also used their poop extensively as fertilizer for fields, especially in places where the soil wasn't great. And it's an element in gunpowder and you can do, you know, all sorts of like leather refinement using pigeon poop. There's a lot more applications for pigeon poop than I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we domesticated them for all kinds of reasons. We found them so incredibly useful. I like to think of them as the Swiss army knife of birds. They are way more useful. <laughs> but but every one of these uses... We wound up developing some sort of chemical or some sort of technology or, or, you know, using a different animal for them. And so they became obsolete. Oh, no. And now they're left. And it seems almost rude, you know, how once we had no further use for them, the affection for them sort of faded, right? Because now they're seen as more of a pest or a nuisance, even though they we made them <laughs> this way. Those poor babies, they deserve so much better. Yeah, there are still some places where people have a lot of affection for pigeons. And there are a lot of places where people still breed them for particular traits and just genuinely love them. And there's also been a renewed interest in keeping pigeons as pets, partly because you can stop the problem of having them pooping everywhere by buying pigeon pants, these mm. basically these pigeon diapers, and you can get them what? in all sorts of colors, you can get little tuxedos, you can get <gasps> like... Halloween theme, Christmas theme. So people are flocking to get pigeons as pets. Oh, So some people definitely still love them. Are these pigeons you could literally just like go get off the street? Or do they have to be like specially bred like fancy pigeons? The funny thing about pigeons, at least in North America, is that because they are technically feral animals like a stray cat or a dog, you could take one in as a pet and you're not in trouble under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but that's not what people are doing. I feel like most people are going to rescues where people have rescued, you know, injured pigeons and sort of taking a bird from there and adopting it. Or they're they're adopting purebred pigeons that escaped that have an even less refined ability to survive in the wild and so are in trouble. So people are sort of adopting those. So I don't think there are a lot of people going out and trapping 20 pigeons and bringing them home and putting tuxedos on them. <laughs> There's your side hustle right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make millions in poop. <laughs> well, see, you sell the pigeons as pets and then you sell the poop as fertilizer. And there you go. You've got a nice little pigeon business. Oh, shoot. I got to go. This book This book thing? Nope. This, <laughs> that's over. Now I'm going to go become a pigeon farmer. A pigeon entrepreneur. <laughs> you know, if, if the pigeons were domesticated from the wild, do you still see the same pigeon in the wild? Or have they kind of drifted from their wild ancestors? You know, I'm thinking about like, you see a domesticated dog, a dog is going to look very different from a wild dog or a wild wolf, right? Like, do you see that same thing happening with the pigeons? Or are they still regular old city pigeons that you'd find like out in the wild? That is a really good and really complicated question. Oh, boy. <laughs> we don't know if there are any pure wild pigeons left anywhere. There are some populations, for example, in remote areas of Scotland where they still sort of live on cliffs. So they naturally live on rocky cliffs and nest in little, little holes in the cliffs, which is partly why they like cities is because a city is sort of like a, a rocky cliff in a weird way. Yeah, it's just much straighter lines. That's all. Yeah, yeah. And slightly less Scottish accents, I guess. <laughs> so there are places where people think that there are maybe more pure populations, but I wasn't able to find anyone who had found a population where they could say for sure there was no feral DNA coming in. And because we changed pigeons, 
you know, over thousands and thousands and thousands of years, I think it's pretty safe to say that they're pretty different from their wild ancestors for a lot of reasons, including the fact that we, at one point, it looks like crossbred them with another pigeon species called the speckled pigeon in Africa. And we don't know why this happened or exactly when this happened. And anytime you see a pigeon with sort of speckledy wings, that is probably those genes from that speckled pigeon popping out. Oh, that's so interesting. I'm going to have to take a much closer look at the pigeons I see to see if they have those little spots. That's also another interesting thing about our pigeons is that there's not just like one look for our pigeons, right? Like the pigeons that we see, you could look at your own pigeons in your own city and see them coming in all sorts of different colors and patterns and stuff too, right? It's mind blowing. So that is one of the (laughs) most fun things about pigeon watching is everywhere you go, you are going to be basically looking at the descendants of a whole mix of pure purebred birds that escaped. And every sort of region will have its own mix. So in some places, you'll get slightly more red ones or slightly more white ones. And so really what you're seeing when you look at a flock of pigeons is sort of like looking at a pack of stray dogs or like a bunch of feral cats, where they come in all sorts of colors, you know, colors and patterns and shapes. And it's because of these these wild purebred ancestors. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of pigeon breeds in all sorts of wacky shapes and sounds and colors. So in my book, I I sort of go into more detail about the genetics of some of this, but it's really fascinating. I mean, you'll see pigeons coming in, you know, white and red and, and this bluish color and brown colors, their nails come in different colors, their eyes come in different colors. I guess I hadn't looked that closely at them to see. Do it. It's worth it. You'll sometimes (laughs) see pigeons with feathery feet, which is a, a, you know, domesticated trait. You'll see them with a little, little crest sticking up in the back of the head to kind of look, look fancy, looks like a little cowlick. So they're really fascinating, all of the different patterns and colors and the genetics there is really cool too. That reminds me of uh, the Victoria crowned pigeon that has this like all these crazy feathers sticking up on top of their head. Yeah, another really excellent wild pigeon species, the Victoria (laughs) crowned pigeon. It's this huge pigeon that walks around on the ground and looks like a peacock kind of incredibly fancy Mm. with that sort of cool head crest. Yeah, like if the peacock had just shifted all of those tail feathers up to the top of its head. It's really impressive to see. It reminds me of like a chandelier almost, I think. It has yes. this like intricate sort of look to it. Oh, you know, you you might have a job at, as pigeon PR. <laughs> <laughs> the pigeons are not hiring. Maybe if we called them all doves instead of pigeons, maybe people would like them more because I feel like dove has that like, uh, beautiful, graceful, elegant, you know, a good omen sort of thing. And then there's pigeon, which gets a little bit more, it, it gets a little bit more condescension, I think, than a dove. Yeah, this is another wild thing is that there's really no difference between pigeons and doves, scientifically speaking, at all. Pigeons and doves belong, I said, to that that family, Columbidae, the pigeon and dove family, uh, which also contains some other cool birds, like the, the dodo bird was a member of Columbidae, sadly extinct. And it's really, really strange because when you look at that family, we've basically assigned the words pigeon and dove to random members of this family that are not related. So there's no scientific kind of validity to separating a section and you know being like these are all interrelated and these are all doves and then these over here are the pigeons. We've kind of randomly assigned these words and we sort of have this this view that like the doves are the refined sort of Mm -hmm. beautiful small ones and the pigeons are sort of the chunkier less elegant looking ones but that doesn't always scrappy ones (laughs) yeah but 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 some of the pigeons are the teeny ones and you know we've we've labeled some of the, the big ones doves and it's just a it's a total mess so there's really no difference between pigeons and doves and when you go to a wedding people are either releasing another domesticated member of columbity this uh bird called the barbary dove or they're releasing pure white rock doves or rock pigeons or our city pigeon and nobody can tell the difference because there is effectively no difference and it's, <laughs> it's weird right so why do we have two words for for pigeon and dove it probably dates back to the norman conquest of england oh my gosh so the french called this bird the pigeon 
And the English um, had the word dove or sort of a, a similar word. And so we just started calling some of them doves and some of them pigeons in English. And it, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, you can see that with, with our city pigeon is we've labeled them rock dove. We've labeled them rock pigeon. We, you know, common pigeon, we don't know what to call them. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's just the whole thing is just a mess. I'm going to start calling them metropolitan doves to sort of like elevate their status a little bit. That's just a Metro dove. <laughs> I love, that is so good. Oh my goodness. Yes. Our, our pigeon PR firm is hiring. <laughs> Please join us. At Metropolitan Dove Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> we firmly believe that pigeon, all pigeons are just beautiful. They are. Mm -hmm. Hi there, friends. We are going to take a super quick break to hear from a couple of our buddies on the Maximum Fun Network. When we return, we are going to get into our ratings. So stay tuned. Look, it's a rough world out there, especially lately. I get it. So let's take care of our minds as best we can. I'm John Moe, host of Depression Mode with John Moe. Every week, I talk with comedians, actors, writers, musicians, doctors, therapists, and everyday folks about the obstacles that our world and our brains throw in front of us. Depression, anxiety, traumatic stress, all those mental health challenges that are way more common and more treatable than you might think. The first time I went to therapy, I was so ashamed and I was like, can't believe I got to go into therapy. Like, I thought I could be a man. And Humphrey Bogart was never in therapy. And then my dad said, yeah, but he smoked a carton of cigarettes a day. Give your mind a break. Give yourself a break. And join me for Depression Mode with John Moe. You're in the theater. The lights go down. You're about to get swept up by the characters and all their little details and interpersonal dramas. You look at them and think, that person is so obviously in love with their best friend. Wait, am I in love with my best friend? That character's mom is so overbearing. Why doesn't she stand up to her? Oh, good God, do I need to stand up to my own mother? We never know when we'll see ourselves in a movie, but that search for recognition is exactly what we're going to talk about on the podcast, Feeling Seen, with me, Jordan Cruciola. Each episode, we'll bring in a guest to talk about the films that they see themselves in and also the ways that movies have fallen short. So join me every Thursday for the Feeling Scene podcast here on Maximum Fun or wherever you find your podcasts. If you've never listened to this podcast before, we review animals by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. So... The first category that we rate animals on is effectiveness, um, which for us is physical adaptations, things that are built into the animal's body that let it do a really good job of the things that it's trying to do. What would you give the pigeon out of 10 for effectiveness? Well, this part is really painful for me because I really want to give the pigeon like a 20 out of 10 for every single thing. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I kind of want to downgrade the pigeon in terms of effectiveness to maybe like an eight or a seven. That's not that bad. It's it's not, it's really not bad. You know, the, the pigeons pass for sure. They get a <laughs> passing grade. But it's it's tricky because like I said, you know, they're they're the fax machine of animals. So it's this this tragic story of us removing them from the wild, breeding them to our exact specifications, and then sort of moving on from them. So um, pigeons, for example, are not invasive species in the places where they've been basically transported to, which is anywhere outside of kind of parts of Europe, Northern Africa, and bits of uh, Western Asia and, and the Middle East. And they just don't really survive outside of living kind of near to us because they really, really rely on us. There are certainly some exceptions. In some places, they can potentially pass diseases to native pigeon populations like on the Galapagos. And so they're not necessarily you know, a harmless bird, but they really haven't figured out how to function without us. What's really interesting about them to me is that their ability to navigate so well is like, it's something that's just 
built into their body. Like it's just part of their blueprint, right? Yeah, they're they're super, super fascinating in their ability to navigate their way home and to carry messages. And so they were used to carry messages throughout history. They carried the results of the first Olympic Games. Uh, Genghis Khan was using them for messaging. People were using them for messaging for wars throughout history. And they probably reached their peak of popularity during World War One and World War Two, when soldiers would carry them into battle. And then when things, you know, went haywire, they would release this pigeon with a note saying, you know, stop hitting us with friendly fire or rescue us. We're at these coordinates. So pigeons were awarded all sorts of, of medals, which is there are so many cute pictures online of these pigeons with these giant medals sort of around their necks. They were just really, <laughs> really beloved because they were they were saving lives. So that ability is amazing. And it is kind of misunderstood. They're probably like us. They're probably using a bunch of different strategies. So they're using visual strategies. They may be sort of, you know, using smell to find their way home. They may be using a magnetic sense. They may be using polarized light or the position of the sun. Um, They seem to have sort of different preferences in terms of who likes to use what, which I really relate to because I use a GPS and my dad hates a GPS. <laughs> I fully, you know, it, it, it frustrates both of us that the other mm-hmm. one has a different mechanism for finding our, our way home. So we don't know how they do it, but it's really, really, really remarkable. And it's sort of what pigeon racing or pigeon messaging is based on is you carry them from far away and then you release them and you either have them carry a message or you time how long it takes for them to get back. So they are really, really remarkable and just really fascinating and incredible critters. So I don't mean to malign how truly <laughs> amazing they are. Yeah. Something that they probably don't need to worry about so much in an urban environment. So I don't know if this is like a, a plus or a minus for them, but they probably don't have a ton of actual like predators to worry about. Or do they? <laughs> I probably should ask, like, what is the predatory scene looking like for pigeons that are living in cities? They are definitely being predated upon by some really cool raptors. They are actually a really useful kind of alarm bell for cool um, pigeon predators like peregrine falcons or Cooper's hawks or red-tailed hawks. So if you're walking down the street and you see a flock of pigeons burst into the air, look for a cool raptor because it's amazing. But they are really, really adept flyers. They're really speedy. And so, you know, they can be a match for a lot of those predators. So I think that's mostly what they have to worry about is death from above. And I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of videos and stuff of pigeons pulling off surprisingly impressive maneuvers, right? Because if your competition is a peregrine falcon, there's so little you can do about being hunted by a peregrine falcon, because by the time you even know it exists, it's too late. Yeah, and you can see these videos of them twisting and spinning in the air. And they're they're truly, truly incredible aerial creatures. They're really, really amazing. I mean, you can knock pigeons, but I certainly couldn't get away from a peregrine falcon through the sheer force of my own running ability. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they they're they're just incredibly well adapted in that sense for sure. And peregrine falcons are found all over the world in a lot of different places. So they definitely evolved to get away from peregrines and other birds of prey. That is a significant evolutionary arms race. Evolution did not go easy on them. They're like, no, you have to escape probably the most intimidating thing that could possibly be in the sky. And you're a pigeon. Yep. And your brain is just full of like cooing (laughs) and preening. (laughs) Truly no thoughts, head empty. (laughs) That's a great transition into our next category for the pigeon, though. Ingenuity. For us, ingenuity is behavioral adaptations, things that the animal is doing to maybe escape predators, maybe get its own food, ways that the animal is solving problems that it encounters on a daily basis. I gave the pigeon a solid 10. What do you give the pigeon for ingenuity? This is, again, tricky because while pigeons are pretty darn smart and, and, you know, smarter than you would expect, they're definitely not as smart as a parrot or a raven or something like that. But I think sticking with 10 out of 10, you know, I've had a lot of time to sort of reflect and I've been having an on, but... <laughs> But they, they really are just really, really remarkable and relatively ingenious birds compared to what we sort of think. I mean, it is not easy to survive in a city environment that you were essentially bred for and then, you know, transported into and kind of dumped there. And so they have really incredible 
ways of finding food and also like this amazing ability to sort of swallow a bunch of food and carry it off in their crop and eat it somewhere safer. Oh, and wow. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they have a shopping bag in their throat. It's, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Little inventory expansion. They got a bag of holding. <laughs> yes. Except instead of like cool D&D weapons, it's like a hot dog bun <laughs> and part of a bagel. <laughs> Check out what I got. <laughs> now make sure Plus you mark the constitution. <laughs> make sure you mark that French fry on your character sheet because you're gonna know that you have it later. <laughs> it's gonna come in handy when you fight some orcs. <laughs> I didn't know that they did that. That's really charming. Yeah, and they, you know, they have this ability to live in really, really hot places. They can sort of acclimate. They can um, do this this sort of throat waggling behavior where they can kind of cool off. It's sort of like a panting thing. Is that what that is? I've seen them do that. I, I live in Florida. It's really hot here. So that must be what that is. <laughs> it's called, and I'm going to mispronounce it, it's it's either guller fluttering or Guller fluttering, probably guller fluttering. So they uh, they have you know some wetness in their throat, and so they're fluttering their throat and sort of breathing over it, and it helps them kind of cool down. You'll see all sorts of birds doing that, which is kind of kind of nifty. So th- their their sheer ability to survive all sorts of you know vagaries of human you know human culture changing is just really incredible. Like for example, they used to eat spilled grain from all the horses that we would ride around town, which we no longer do. So they had to adapt. And now they're eating, you know, grain from craft breweries. It's pretty remarkable. So I'm thinking of other birds that like to live around human areas. And I'm thinking about ducks. And I know that a lot of people love ducks, and a lot of people like to feed ducks. But unfortunately, a lot of times they will feed ducks, certainly meaning well, and feed them the wrong thing that can be very harmful to the duck. And then it in the long run, is not healthy for the duck at all, and the duck can suffer. Are there similar best practices, I guess, for, you know, is it not cool to feed pigeons? Or are there certain things you shouldn't feed pigeons? Like, I guess, like, what are best practices for having a healthy relationship with pigeons? That is the million dollar question. That's the the part of this book that I agonized over. You know, it's just a few paragraphs, but I just I was like I was just like emotionally overwhelmed the whole time. I was trying to figure out how to how to say this. So, I don't think that there are any universal best practices because we're talking about a a domesticated animal. So we're talking about, you know, like a feral cat or a feral dog. And there's so much controversy about what to do about those. Although obviously the issues are, are really different, particularly with cats, which will eat, you know, baby songbirds and such, but it's so, so, so complicated. And there's so much passion on either side. So the thing about feeding pigeons is that you are raising the population of the pigeons. So basically pigeons figure out how much food there is around and that's how many babies they're going to have. So feeding pigeons can lead to some of similar problems that you get with ducks, which is you'll get overcrowding and you'll get the potential for disease spread. So I would, I guess hesitatingly say that there are better ways to take care of your pigeons than to necessarily be feeding them. They are pretty happy grainivores and they like legumes and stuff. So feeding them grains is not going to be as harmful as, you know, some other animals that are are not necessarily as suited to grain. So for example, I have some parrots and a lot of people think, oh, you just, you just give them some seeds, but that's really not true. They need, you know, veggies and all that stuff. And pigeons do need, you know, some complexity in their diet, but they're more comfortable with that kind of thing. Um, but woof, it is it is ethically really complicated because you could argue that people who are from countries where pigeons were domesticated or pigeons were bred for a long time maybe have a moral obligation to take care of these pigeons that they've sort of, you know, moved around and, and released. There are other ways that you can take care of pigeons for sure. You can work for a rescue. You can make sure that you don't have any chicken wire netting around that's going to get pigeons stuck. Um, you can try to make, you know, your your space safer and more, more welcoming for them. Um, 
Um, but this is such a passionate issue. There are places where pigeon feeding gets banned because there's poop everywhere. And then people will come in the dead of night and secretly feed the pigeons. Like there are full on like Vigilante. battles all over the world happening over, over pigeons. Yeah. Vigilante pigeon feeders. It's seriously, <laughs> it's a really, really complicated thing. And people feed pigeons for all sorts of reasons. They even feed pigeons to be social with other people, you know, to meet other people who love animals. So, you know, no one here is really being a monster. Mm -hmm. It's so complicated, but I personally would figure out other ways to help some of our urban wildlife, I think. And we definitely should. There are even people who feed pigeons and then clean up the poop afterwards, which I think Aww. is pretty pretty remarkable and difficult to do. Going the extra mile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's 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 certainly complicated. I would I would say probably no, but also if someone, you know, loves their pigeons and is feeding them, have some compassion, I guess, for for those folks. That doesn't mean, you know, you should set up your balcony and um, have a bazillion pigeons pooping all over it and, you know, causing all sorts of problems. You know, you, you, you can learn to live with them, certainly, you know, by just sort of doing certain things that will make you and, and them happy, mutually happy. Oh, yeah, for sure. We need to keep our pigeons happy because they're just little guys. They're just sweet as can be. Like, I've never heard of a story. Well, I don't know. Maybe you have heard of a story of pigeons attacking somebody. <laughs> well, I've never heard of it. <laughs> if you watch Home Alone 2, um, <laughs> there is a scene <laughs> in which... Who are the, what are the bandits called? The wet, wet ear bandits? I forget I have what the, they're. No clue. Oh, it's been so long since I watched them. <laughs> anyway, the bad guys are coming after Macaulay Culkin, and there's this pigeon lady who feeds and loves the pigeons. And so she shows up to help him. And I think they throw something sticky on the bandits, and then they throw a bunch of seed, and pigeons descend upon them. <laughs> subdue them en masse which like that does not work do not try that if you're being chased by <laughs> bandits in your macaulay coke <laughs> but yeah that they they really are super benign animals partly because we tend to domesticate animals that are pretty chill so that's why you know we're not riding a moose to school or like <laughs> chilling with a tiger at home you know or hopefully we're not no not if you're listening to this podcast you're not <laughs> Yeah, please don't. <laughs> don't have a moose and a tiger in your house. I'm, I'll be worried. Yeah, so we domesticated them because they're chill. And then we sort of made them more chill over time. They they do do a few sort of cute, aggressive things. So if you bother a pigeon that's on its nest or, or stress out a pigeon, it'll sort of slap you with its wings, kind of do a little like... <gasps> wing slap, which, which I think is more sort of cute than anything. But yeah, they tend to be pretty chill, pretty accepting, accepting birds. That's not to say that they don't have behavioral complexities. I mean, you'll see males chasing females a lot. And what's going on there is a male is basically saying, hey, you know, girlfriend, stay away from the hot, sexy male who's chasing after you. And you know, we're gonna, I'm gonna chase you away so that you're not near the sky. So mm, it's a jealousy thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You mentioned them protecting their nest. And I must say they're very good at hiding their nests. I've never seen a pigeon nest. They're so good at, you know, finding a great place to keep their babies safe. So a plus on hiding your children. Are pigeons particularly doting parents? Like, do they spend a lot of time caring for their babies? Or are they a little bit more hands off? Oh, gosh, they are so doting. It's Aww. wild. Pigeons are naturally pretty monogamous, which is unusual among birds. There are some birds that are not monogamous. There are some birds that are, but they are not necessarily fully faithful. Mm -hmm. But pigeons are, are, you know, not always, but they're pretty darn faithful. So a pair will stick together until a member of, of the pair passes away typically. And so when you see two pigeons uh, walking around the city, strutting next to each other, they are they are probably in love, uh, and of they will reinforce they, <laughs> they will reinforce their bond by um, sort of cooing at each other. The male will do a funky little dance where he's sort of bobbing up and down and inflating his you know neck feathers. And me too. That's how <laughs> that's how me and Christian uh, reinforce our bond. Also. Well, hopefully you don't do the thing where you lock your beaks together and then you simulate puking in each other's mouths. I mean, it's been a while, but <laughs> <laughs> I 
that was maybe, you know, first, second date stuff. I get it. You get into a rut. You stop, you stop interlocking beaks and simulating puking into each other's mouths. That's more like that's you know. the honeymoon phase, you know, where you're just, everything's just such a flurry of passion where you're just puking into each other's mouths. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, so so they're very romantic birds. And then they will share parenting duties. You know, the male will choose a nice nest site and he'll stand on top of, of the nesting area and he'll do this really, really strange noise. So you may have heard this. There's a typical cooing noise that a pigeon does. And then there's the check it out, I found a cool nest or like, you know, come check out our cool nest kind of sound, which is more like a woo, woo. Okay. It it really sounds like a guy saying woo. The first time I heard this outside of a New York apartment, I thought, what is going on inside my apartment? So they'll they'll find a spot and then um, the female will sort of sit in the nest area and the male will bring some twigs. They are really poor nest builders usually because they nest on a ledge, so they don't need to make a beautiful nest cup. So they'll just kind of huck some sticks onto a flat surface. Close enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean- they, they don't need to do anything fancy. You know? Have you seen that show Nailed It? Where they like <laughs> poorly recreate like Pinterest cakes. <laughs> there is this like Reddit meme going around where, where someone says, you know, whenever I'm feeling bad about myself, I look at what a pigeon, you know, <laughs> uses as an excuse for a nest. And it's just this pigeon nesting on someone's like doormat. And it's got like three sticks and an egg. And it's just looking up like, check it out. <laughs> It fits all the criteria for being technically a nest. It's technically a nest. Yeah, I put an egg in it. (laughs) It's a nest. Right. So they build a nest. And then when they lay their two eggs, they share incubation duties. So they'll incubate, you know, during particular times of the day. For example, the night shift is when the female gets to sit on the egg and the male will sleep in kind of a nearby tree or a nearby ledge or something. And then when their babies hatch, they feed them milk. Which is maybe one of the most amazing and disconcerting things about pigeons. Do they make? Is mm, is (laughs) go on? Is this homebrew? Why, yes. Really? They don't have little hands to go milk a cow. So what they do is the male and the female both produce milk in their the sort of a part of their esophagus called the crop, sort of a throat area. And it's surprisingly similar to like a human's breast milk or a mammal milk. It has proteins, it has fats, it has immune boosting, you know, anti-pathogenic properties. It's even stimulated by prolactin, which is this (gasps) hormone that produces it in in humans. Right, right, right. Wow. You know, something people talk about a lot with like the platypus, which is a mammal that lays eggs, is that like since it produces milk and eggs, you could effectively make an omelet, like a platypus omelet. But like... It sounds like this, the pigeon is like right there. You could do it all with the pigeon. The pigeon's got the eggs. They got the milk. So remind me to never come over to your house and eat food. (laughs) (laughs) I made this dinner for you. It's it's an omelet. Enjoy. I mean, I, I would imagine that with a pigeon being so little, it's probably not an amount of milk that would be useful to any human, right? No, it's also, I think it's kind of like, chunky Mm. and sort of yellowish. I mean, it's not really appetizing. It's also puked into the baby's mouths. Like there's no other way to get it out of there. There's no utter. Let's not. So it's not super appealing, but baby pigeons need that milk for the first few days, which is partly why we don't factory farm pigeons all that much because they need that milk for for a little bit. And also why if you rescue a baby pigeon, you need to take it to a rehabilitator as fast as you can, because especially if it's a really young baby, it needs a sort of a homebrew version of milk that the rehabbers make. And it really needs that in order to thrive. So yeah, they're pretty remarkable parents. Yeah, that is a lot more effort than I thought would have gone into raising a baby pigeon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, they're precious. And they only have two pigeons at once. So they won't, you know, have 10 little chicks or something like that. So they're really devoting their time, although they make an average of 13 per year. So it's not like they're sort of spending a lot of time on one pigeon. They'll raise it pretty fast and then it's time to make more. Out the door. You got to move on along because we got to make some more. It's a conveyor belt operation. This is a good transition into the last category that we rate animals on, which is aesthetics. Straightforward, how nice the animal is to look at. I was going to ask if the baby pigeons are cute. 
I remember when I listened to your first pigeon episode and you were maligning baby pigeons and I was immediately getting defensive. So baby pigeons are really weird looking. I so I got defensive and then I thought, no, no, she's right. <laughs> People always wonder where are the baby pigeons? And so you are seeing young pigeons. You you will see pigeons that have just recently fledged and there are ways to tell that they're younger pigeons. For instance, their eyes are typically sort of a, a grayish color, kind of a brownish color. They don't have maybe that orange and yellow um, that some adult pigeons have and they're a little duller, but they pretty much look like adults. But when they're chicks, they kind of look like maybe a lumpy potato with some <laughs> yellow mold on it. They're uh, they're they're really really awkward looking, and their bills are really long and sort of stumpy. And so I'll give that to you. Yeah. So th- so for baby pigeons, maybe a three out of ten, but for adults, I think they're spectacular. It's a serious glow up. Oh, gosh, like 10 out of 10 or, you know, do the dog rates thing and you know, 15 out of 10 or something. I, they're so beautiful. And one of the reasons why we domesticated them was to raise, you know, fancy, like purebred dog style pigeons. And some of those purebred breeds are just gorgeous huge fan of the iridescence like iridescence on anything is like an automatic like plus five for me yeah we'll pick pretty much any trait of pigeons and there is one of these hundreds of breeds that takes that like to the extreme so for iridescence i also love iridescence that's that's one of my favorite things in pigeons there's a breed called the archangel that is sort of like a, a reddish and greenish bird and it's shiny all over. So they've taken the neck shininess and they've spread it to the entire bird. And it's just knock you on your feet stunning. They're so beautiful. I was Googling it as you were describing that. And so I have a nice visual in front of me. It is really striking the like the purple and then the sort of shiny bluish tone to like the body feathers is really beautiful. But what I'm really finding charming is they have this little upturned crest on the back of their head. It's so cute. (laughs) Yeah, there are a bunch of crested breeds where the feathers basically grow in the wrong direction. They grow some kind of opposites. So they have permanent cowlicks. And there are breeds that take that super to the extreme. So Queen Victoria, um, one of her favorite breeds was the Jacobin pigeon which is bred so that it basically has a feather boa that completely surrounds the head so that this bird can barely see. It can sort of see (gasps) a a little bit out of the front. And they're absolutely stunning. This is the pigeon from the like meme going around about like, why does this pigeon look like it's working on its third divorce? (laughs) It is. You have seen that one. It really does. Mm -hmm. This is a very dramatic, this is like a theatrical pigeon. Like you'd see this pigeon in an opera, <laughs> the fe- the feather boa, and so they can when they go to reproduce, they can't have that feathery boa because they can't see. So breeders have to sort of snip the boa off in order for them to be able to raise their young, and then it'll grow back. Oh, but it's so good! It looks great. I'm sure it does, is not helpful for the bird at all. But I gotta say, for me personally, it's really it's working. Yay! What a delightful little pigeon! Do you have a favorite breed of pigeon? Do you have a favorite? Uh, so the archangel is definitely my number one. My number two might be the American giant runt. Runt. It's a utility pigeon which is a pigeon that was bred for meat. So they're incredibly chunky, but they are enormous. So the runt part um, has kind of complicated origins. It's a funny name, but they're not tiny. They're huge. They're like several times bigger than a normal pigeon. So they're sort of like those um, Flemish giant rabbits or something like that. They're, Mm. They're big, 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 like lap pigeons. There's another one called the Hungarian house pigeon that is like similarly an enormous, enormous pigeon. And they're just so charming, just these big fluffy guys. Yeah, I I did look up the American giant runt pigeon. You're right. Absolutely massive. Big chungus over here. (laughs) Is that fluff or are they actually like built or are they like fat? Like, why do they look like that? 
Uh, it's meat. It's meat. So they're really? bred to be to be as meaty as possible. Like I said, they're they're utility they're mm. they're utility breeds. But as with a lot of these, as sort of eating pigeons has fallen out of favor, at least in some places, people have continued on with the breed and sort of made them more for show or for pets. So there are pigeon shows, just like a dog show or a cat show, where you you take your pigeons and you get them rated. And you can definitely see with a lot of these fancy birds, they would not survive in the wild. Like our feral birds are sort of a mix of the ones that survived and also the pressures of being outside. So that's why you don't see, you know, a Jacobin pigeon hopping around unless one has definitely escaped or you won't have like a Hungarian giant house pigeon, you know, cooing around and vacuuming up all the seeds. So this is like a bodybuilder pigeon, absolutely jacked, completely ripped, but like all for show. That is a pigeon that's like, do you even lift is what that pigeon is. That's how it coos. <laughs> Do you even lift? <laughs> like instead of eating grains off of the ground, it eats like protein, <laughs> like protein supplements and like vitamins off the floor. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I didn't think that gains were going to factor so heavily into <laughs> discussion of the pigeon oh my gosh and it's it's funny because it's so big and fluffy but its face is still really tiny (laughs) yep well they don't breed them for for brains it looks like a big jacked dude with a little tiny head (laughs) it's very funny i'm thrilled to know about this i'd never seen this before ever and this has been (laughs) life-changing That's how I felt. I so my my book is not super super about pigeon breeding and purebred pigeon breeding because that's that's a you know many thousand year old hobby that is really complex and I could not possibly cover that in one little short book. So I kind of give it a little nod, but it's so 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 long and rich and complicated for sure. So speaking of your book, let's wrap up for today by talking about your pocket guide to pigeon watching, where people can find it, what they're going to find in it. Let, let's talk about your book. It's a little literally kind of pocket sized book that is meant to be an introduction to the pigeons in your neighborhood. So it's kind of a friendly, very silly pun-filled accessible (laughs) book about how to watch pigeons and how to understand their history. I really think it's important when you're looking at nature to have a sense of kind of a historical or cultural context for a lot of this stuff. Um, So it's got a nod to, you know, the passenger pigeon, which was really important to indigenous people. And then those were exterminated by colonists who then introduced, you know, our city pigeon everywhere. There's just some wild, wild, wild history. So there's that. And then there's a lot of just funny, goofy, and anecdotes about famous people having pigeons and then <laughs> an introduction to the breeds. And then there's there's mostly just a lot of info about the colors and patterns that you'll see, the cool uh, wild behaviors that you can look at. And then there's a whole section in the back about how to use pigeons to branch out to watching other birds, you know, like birds of prey or other cool birds in your neighborhood. So I'm hoping it'll be kind of a fun introduction to that sort of thing, especially since we're all bird watching now because we're all stuck at home and and everybody's becoming obsessed with what's in their backyard. Mm -hmm. Maybe a great introductory for somebody who has maybe thought about bird watching, but maybe doesn't live super close to any supernatural area. Supernatural, I meant like, you know, maybe it doesn't live close to any like very natural areas and sees a lot of pigeons maybe it would be a great way to deepen that appreciation and like use it as the gateway bird right like you could start with a pigeon and then work your way up yeah and it's it's pretty funny and silly like i said you know it's pretty goofy and irreverent so i'm really hoping to kind of secretly spread the love of pigeons and birds through a book that people will hopefully see you know this bright funny cover with this goofy looking pigeon on it and they'll think oh i'm going to buy that as like a gag gift for my pal who lives in the city and then oh, secretly yeah. <laughs> the, the pigeons creep into their world and they fall in love. And then it's sitting there and you're like, mm, maybe I should actually give this a read. And you open it <laughs> and you're like, that's how they get you. That's how they sink their claws into you. Now you're on Team Pigeon. Mm-hmm. You're just drinking cups of pigeon milk. <laughs> <laughs> the pigeon milk protein shake that'll get you all nice and jacked. <laughs> Your friends are like, did you hear about Chad? He's a Hungarian house pigeon now. <laughs> It's really heartbreaking, but he's adorable. We feed him all of our table scraps when we're done with lunch. We feed him our our breadcrumbs. 
Where can people find your book? What is the best way for people to get their hands on a copy? It will be in bookstores on October 26th. And you can get it from, you know, any online sources too. So I suggest checking out the online stores for your favorite local bookstores or, you know, going to bookshop or something like that. Um, For folks listening in Europe, they've had, uh, they are actually getting their books earlier for reasons that I don't totally know. And they're having good luck with their independent bookstores. So uh, try your small bookstore. So it, it should be hopefully like the pigeon all over the place pretty soon. <laughs> Excellent. And where can people follow along with you and follow along with your work and your art? You can find out more about me and my books at rosemarymosco.com. That's M-O-S-C-O. So like the city in Russia with no W is usually what I say. And my comics are everywhere under Bird and Moon or Rosemary Mosco. And I'm the only Rosemary Mosco in the world. So if you Google me, you will find me. You love to see some SEO. Unintentional parental (laughs) SEO. Well, I hope that anybody listening will be inspired to not only love the pigeon a little bit more deeply, but also go check out some of your other awesome, super charming content, because you can learn a lot about not just, I would say not even just pigeons and not even just birds, but I feel like I've learned a lot about, you make little comics about other animals that are not just birds. So I think that it's a great way to learn about animals in a very approachable and a very relatable and a very memorable way, you know, a way that will stick in your mind and being like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing this adorable little drawing about that. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much. I feel like we are definitely kindred spirits. And I really appreciate the opportunity to just cheerlead about pigeons for a really, really long period of time. It's my favorite thing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for all of your knowledge. And thank you for your work. Big fan. So this has been really exciting for me. Get to geek out with one of my favorite people. Thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute blast. This was just over the top fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have fallen as deeply in love with our Metropolitan Dove as I have. If you liked what you heard today, it would really mean a lot to us if you could leave us a good review on your podcatcher, like our friends Bren Everfolly, Ashley Tucker, and Sarah Snake 99 who all recently left very kind words for us over on Apple Podcasts. You can also connect with us on social media. Just search the title of the show and you will find us. So come hang out with us. I promise we are very friendly and we do not bite. If you have an animal you would like to hear reviewed on the show, feel free to submit those to us. My email address is ellen at justthezooofus.com. We'd like to say thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other amazing shows like the ones that you have heard promos for here today. You can check those out and learn more about the network over at MaximumFun.org. And finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our spectacular theme music. That is all for today. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported